Hi, this is Lauren Engel of Sidewalk Talk. We do a lot of interviews with EDM artists, pop artists, rappers, and people in the industry, letting you know what they do behind the scenes. Also, make sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter through the handle Sidewalk Talk Show. Hope you guys enjoy. Lauren Engel of Sidewalk Talk. I'm here with Willie Joy. What up? <laughs> shout out to our shop people for connecting us. I just had to put Yo, it out shout there. Shout out to Reddit real quick. <laughs> we see you guys. Yeah. So you were born in Minneapolis? Or? I was born in Minneapolis. Yeah, I lived there till I was 18. Yeah. Midwest boy, born and raised. Were your parents born there as well? Uh, no, my mom was born in Ohio, and my dad is from Alaska, actually. Oh, wow. Yeah, so his whole side of the family. We still got some family over there, and then, yeah, my mom's uh, also Midwest. What made him move to, like, Minneapolis? God, that's a great question. Um, I... It, it was for work and, and for school. I mean, he went to university in Ohio, which oh. is where he met my mom. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I think it was for school originally. And I think probably my dad's a real quiet guy. So getting the full story is sometimes uh, hard. And then my yeah. memory is bad. So it gets <laughs> even worse. But I, I think probably there was an aspect of just wanting to escape. You know, mm-hmm. he was in a small town in Alaska and uh, probably just wanted to see a little more of the yeah. world. So what do they do? Are they in the musical field at all? No, not at all. Uh, my mom is a doctor. Uh, she's a rheumatologist working with joints. Um, and my dad is a computer engineer, software engineer, uh, retired now. They're both yeah. mostly retired, but for all of his life, yeah. yeah, he was a software guy. Did he have some kind of pressure with them being more in like the academic sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 100%. Yeah, I... I, like, I come from a very sort of traditional middle-class background, very average, like, if you just think about, like, white Midwestern middle-class, like, whatever image, that you're exactly right. Like, that's exactly <laughs> what it was. Um, and, you know, I went to a nice private school for high school. It was always expected I would go to a good college and yeah. get a good job, kind of that standard track. And how do you describe yourself back then growing up? Um, I was... Uh, a slow, uh, what do you call it, late bloomer, uh, like slow to develop, nice kid, I was quiet, I was super nerdy, I read, read yeah. a lot of books, uh, listened to a lot of music, music was very important to me from an early age. Who were your favorite authors back then? Man, I, uh, I'm a nerd, so it's, it's mostly like sci-fi and yeah. fantasy stuff. Um, early on, like, uh, uh, some of the classics like Neil Gaiman and um, uh, William Gibson, these are like sci-fi writers who probably only nerds know, but uh, they, they were big for me. A couple classics, my yeah. mom gave me some George Orwell really early on, and that stuck. Um, but yeah, just fantasy and sci-fi stuff, you know, all the yeah. like Lord of the Rings, all that shit, but then yeah. way deeper too. <laughs> <laughs> what kind of music were they playing in the house? Uh, they, my family wasn't hugely musical. It wasn't like we always had music playing. Mm -hmm. It was kind of something I came to on my own. I mean, my mom loves folk music. And so like Willie Nelson and Joan Baez and all that. But she was, it wasn't like she was really playing much of it in the house. Uh, and yeah, not, not much for my dad either. So it was really something I came to 
on my own. I mean, for me, Michael Jackson was like yeah. one of the first. When I was a kid, I was obsessed. I wanted to dance like him, sung all the songs. That was like the first time as a small child I can remember really being like, holy shit, there's yeah. something here. And then you were also playing the trumpet, right? Yeah, that? yeah, I played uh, jazz trumpet. Oh, hey, we got some chickens. <laughs> What's up, chickens? <laughs> uh, yeah, we, they put me in jazz band pretty early, and I was playing trumpet for all of my childhood, probably a decade or so. Oh, wow. Yeah, it was, I loved it. So you're in a bunch of orchestras? Yeah, yeah, mostly jazz bands. I did a little bit of, like, youth symphony stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, I got pretty good. Uh, I did that. I took drum lessons for, like half a year, guitar lessons for a year. You were in some metal bands, right? I was, yeah. Um, That was kind of, metal was like my first real act of like teenage uh, rebellion or whatever. (laughs) Where I I don't know why, I still don't to this day, I still love metal, but it just grabbed me. Like that's something I felt really strongly about. It was like a community, you know, I was like, yeah, "Yeah, I'm a (laughs) metalhead. Which was cool because you all, especially when you're that age, you want to identify with a group or something like that. So that was that for me. And and yeah, I was in metal bands. I sung mostly in metal bands played the guitar very badly. (laughs) None of the bands were good. Uh, (laughs) It was definitely not professional in any way. Were you in some like Jewish party hip-hop crew? Yeah, you did your research. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I was uh, like a lot of white boys uh, at a certain age. I wanted to rap and the way I came to it was, yeah, me and my friends were in this Jewish parody rap group that if you think about like what Weird Al does, yeah. it's basically like that. Like we would take popular songs and parody them, uh, except ours were all uh, about being Jewish and also like really, really filthy. <laughs> Is this <stuff> online? <sighs> Man, I mean, <laughs> if if some detective out there wants I to dig like it up, I feel like the archive of digs right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Some of it still is, although, like, I'm still the the outcast of the group. Like, the other guys went on; they're like lawyers and doctors, so oh, wow. they don't want it found at all. <laughs> so I think some scrubbing has been done, but yeah. it's st- some of it's still out yeah. there. Yeah. What were your favorite subjects back in high school? Um, you know, I was a good student. I did pretty well in school I really that was kind of the weird thing I did really well but it wasn't particularly enjoyable Mm -hmm. for me Um, so I don't know I guess the humanities Mm -hmm. I mean English and uh, theater for sure like I I did a lot of theater in high school I actually taught theater for a couple summers um, to little kids uh, so yeah, definitely humanities on the art side of it. Mm-hmm. Like math, I was good at, but I never liked. Yeah. And then at a certain point, I kind of dropped all of the harder yeah. science stuff. Why did you decide to go to a brand for music? Uh, I didn't know I was going to go for music at the time. I just applied to a lot of good schools because that's what I was supposed to do, mm-hmm. you know. And I was kind of just following the track I thought I was supposed to follow without thinking about it too much. Mm-hmm. And then I got there, and Brown uh, is the kind of school where 
there's not a lot of requirements. It's pretty self-directed. Oh, yeah. And so I got there and I was like, oh, wait, I have to figure out what I actually want to do, (laughs) which was the first time in my life, really, that I had just been able, with no one else telling me, to try to figure out what I wanted to do. And so how I did it was basically I figured out all the stuff I didn't want to do, which is what I was saying, you know, some of the hard science stuff and... uh, and yeah, I took a lot of like music courses. I took a lot of theater courses in that first year, year and a half. And I, I don't know, music my whole life has been the only thing that uh, that really like hits something deep for me. Mm-hmm. Like I like I know a lot of people who are really passionate about a lot of different things, and you know they could maybe go and do this, or they could be an architect or they could be a fashion designer because they like all these different things that was never me I just it's always been music for me and so uh, yeah I did music there which was kind of a it's funny because I mean I have a degree in music from a really good college but it has nothing to do with the music that I do now and really nothing I learned there so it was mostly was it mostly just for your parents then would you do you think you would have gone just straight into music Probably, yeah, but this goes back to what I was saying about being a late bloomer. Mm-hmm. It's like I really just wasn't there yet. Like, mm-hmm. I I wasn't self-directed, so I didn't feel like I had to go to college because of my parents. I just did it because that's what I was supposed to do, and I really wasn't thinking that hard about sort of taking my life in my own hands and and doing, you know, figuring out what it is that I really wanted to do. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I was just following the track. It wasn't until maybe halfway through college that I sort of realized that, you know, time is ticking. And if I, you know, once I'm out of college, then I'm really fucked if I don't have anything to do. (laughs) What did your parents think of you studying music? Uh, they were supportive of me studying music for sure, but I guarantee they didn't expect or want me to go in this direction with it I'm sure they thought if I was doing music that I would end up in some kind of more academic or more formal you know in an orchestra or something like that Um, yeah they were definitely nervous my parents are great they never never told me you know don't do this Uh, never told me you're fucking up (laughs) which I'm sure it looked like I was for a long time they're very supportive, but they were definitely nervous. I mean, yeah. we've had the conversation since where they were like, yeah, I didn't really know what you were doing back oh, wow. then. They, they probably still don't know what I'm doing, but they're lovely people. Yeah. <laughs> and then you were starting to DJ at that time during college. I actually started DJing in high school. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, I was... Uh, me and some friends, so I went through this metal phase, and kind of at the same time, I started getting into raving. So I was sort of this like hybrid metalhead raver kid. Mm-hmm. And uh, we got really obsessed with going to raves and seeing DJs in like junior year of high school. And a friend of mine bought turntables. Uh, this is uh, back in the day when, you know, there's no, no DJing with electronics. I mean, you would buy mm-hmm. vinyl records and yeah. put it on the physical turntable. And so we would go over to his house after school every day, mess around on the turntables. And eventually I was over there like every day after school. I was using them way more than he was. His family was really sick of me. Oh, wow. (laughs) So I I ended up buying the turntables from him over a period of time. 
and moved him into my room. And yeah, I mean, in high school, it was just like playing a couple local raves and mostly, you know, house parties or mm. I DJed a school dance once. Yeah, yeah it was like <laughs> just a little kid stuff. And then college uh, was when I, yeah. you know, started to... Were you kind of known in for, for being like a DJ? Yeah, yeah, for sure. There were only a few kind of DJs who played all the local, you know, like the frat parties and the, yeah. the school events and that sort of thing. There was a pool of probably like four or five of us. We all just sort of... Yeah rotated actually in my grade uh at brown in the music program yeah. uh sammy bananas was also in there who's uh, released a bunch of records with fool's gold oh, wow. and produced for a lot of artists who yeah. are kind of popping in our scene now but that time you were djing more top 40 right yeah yes and no i had some top 40 gigs mm -hmm. that were kind of paying for my groceries yeah. at the time <laughs> uh and so yeah it was that but it was sort of a different era too where it was a little less defined because you could go to a spot and this is college too so everyone kind of just wanted to party mm. and so you would go to a spot and you would for sure play the hits play whatever was popping on the radio but you could also completely get away with playing some crazy yeah. you know house song that no one's ever heard and just mixing it in there this was the era of like the, we call it the, the party jams era, kind of the mashup era, yeah. where back then, you know, the idea of a mashup was even something crazy. Like, yeah. that was a new thing, you know. I remember girl, it sounded so cool. I was like, oh my god, yeah. all these songs in one? <laughs> right, yeah, mind-blowing. <laughs> like, you took a 50 Cent song and you put it over this house song? Are you insane? You know, and now that's like every day, yeah. 10 songs like that come out. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, so I guess all I'm saying really is that there were less rules about it. So I was playing more top 40 stuff, but it wasn't really defined yeah. like that. Like I could kind of play whatever. Yeah. And, and that's what all of us were doing. What happened after college? So after college, uh, I got a job in Boston. It's the only like real job, quote unquote, I've yeah. ever had as an adult. Uh, making ringtones for oh. cell phones <laughs> back when that was a job that people had. And was it for, so what was the company? Uh, it, not a company you ever would have heard of. Basically, it, it was just a tech company. It was oh. called uh, Groove Mobile, just some yeah. tech company name. And we were sort of the middlemen between record labels and cell phone carriers. So the record labels would send us their catalogs. We would make ringtones out of their catalogs yeah. and then serve it up to the cell phone carriers. Yeah. Uh, and I did that for two years, making ringtones. Yeah. And it's all right. Yeah. Nothing special. Did uh, you actually have anyone who, like, you're walking outside and you hear a ringtone that you made? Yeah, I mean, back then, for sure. Wow, that's, for sure. that's yeah. cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I... It was cool. It was. It was a fun little gig. I wasn't passionate about it, yeah. but paid pretty good, and it was vaguely related to music. My parents yeah. were happy. You know, seemed like a good step. And then, uh, you know, to, to speed things up, basically how I got into doing music full-time was there was one year I was out at South by Southwest in Austin, Texas, and throughout this whole time I was still DJing, yeah. right? Wait, and, what and year was this? Uh, that would be 2006. Okay. So I'm out at South by Southwest, Austin, Texas. Uh, the company paid for the trip because I, we had some work meetings out there, but really I was kind of scamming on them and playing yeah. a bunch of shows and like 
just tried to be a I DJ love that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> on their dime. And uh, probably it was karma. The company got acquired by a bigger company, as does happen. Yeah. And I was laid off in that acquisition. And I found out I got a phone call in the Austin airport on the way back home yeah. that I no longer had a, had a job. It was like literally like five minutes before I got on the plane. Oh and then, gosh. you know, they were just like, yeah, you know, your whole life is, is different now. And yeah. then I just had to go and like turn my phone off and sit on the plane and try yeah. to process that. Wow. Uh, and yeah, it was, it was a weird time. I had to... I tried to find another job, and I couldn't. I, I looked really hard for a long time, and yeah, no one would hire me. So I kind of just out of necessity to pay my rent, pay my bills, had to kick up the DJ hustle. Mm -hmm. And so I just, you know, scraped around uh, looking for more gigs. Was this still in Boston? Or was yeah, so shortly after that, it's kind of both. A little after that, I moved to Chicago, which was the foundation mm -hmm. of my whole career. And so between Boston and Chicago, I made a bunch of connections, uh, scrounged up a bunch of gigs. And then after maybe a year or so of doing that, yeah. it's like, well, you know what? I'm actually, I'm surviving. Maybe I don't need to find a, a real job. Yeah. Maybe this can be a real job. And it's, that's how it started. Yeah. And it's just grown from there. Actually, your name itself, I know it's short for William, but why do you choose Willie? It's, uh, you got to thank my parents for that one. They, I've just been Willie since I was a oh, kid. Oh, everyone calls you Willie? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's, it's not a stage name or anything. Oh. It's just, <laughs> it's easier for me. I don't have to remember two names. <laughs> <laughs> and then, yeah, so from Chicago, how were you even like meeting people initially? Uh, MySpace. Oh, MySpace wow. was uh, a big one. Well, two things, MySpace and there was a forum, a bulletin board online called the Hollerboard. And the Hollerboard was run by Hollertronics out of Philly. Hollertronics was Diplo and a DJ named Low Budget. Mm -hmm. And they were a DJ duo for many, many years. That's how Diplo got his start. And they ran this message board that was kind of a hub for all of us in that scene at the time. It was a much smaller scene. It was maybe, you know, 100 people on this message board. But those hundred people, almost all of them have gone on to be names that kind of everyone yeah. watching this would know. So it was, it was kind of a cool little small community that ended up growing into something much larger. So I met people there. And then when I moved to Chicago, I sort of just researched, well, what's popping in Chicago? Who's really doing something interesting? And I just hit it, uh, started hitting them up on MySpace. So I definitely hollered at the... Flostradamus guys on MySpace. Mm. That's the first time I ever talked to them. Oh, wow. Uh, the cool kids, for sure. Just that whole, there was a Chicago crew back then. There was like a posse that everyone was working together, making music together, and I wanted in. And I kind of yeah. just told them, I was like, I'm joining your, your friend group now. Yeah. <laughs> and it, I was lucky, it worked. Yeah. Actually, how did you go from listening to metal to the DJ, and then now, like, the more trap heavy side did you veer towards like the trap you know for me music is is really more of a vibe and a feeling that I get when I hear it I don't it sounds stupid but genre means less to me than I think it means to a lot of people mm -hmm. like the same reason I like metal it's kind of the same reason I like the dance music that I like and it's kind of the same reason I like the rap that I like it's just something that when I hear it it 
touches some part of my brain, some chemical gets released, and it, you know, it just makes me feel like a, a strong emotion, a strong vibe, you know, something that gives you goosebumps. And for whatever reason, yeah, it's different sounds can all have that same effect on me. And that's when I produce music, when I DJ, when I listen just for pleasure, that's all I'm trying to get out of it. That's all I'm looking for always is just getting back to that, that vibe of those first few songs that you heard that, you know, just raise the hair on your, the back of your neck. Yeah. Who were the first people that you found that like veered you towards that scene? The dance scene? Yeah. Like other than your friends? Uh, well, it was a lot of the Midwest guys. So, I mean, like I said, I started raving when I was 16, 17 in Minnesota. And we would go out to these raves and uh, they would have headliners from the UK a lot of the time. Or they would have one big headliner from Europe and then a lot of local Midwest guys. So it was sort of a combination of those two things. From the UK... Uh, it was a lot of guys doing breakbeats and a lot of old UK hardcore and happy hardcore and, you know, sort of like the really extreme, crazy sounds. And maybe that's the connection back to metal, too, is I always went for the, like, kind of extremes. I never really was the, you know, sort of classy house guy. (laughs) (laughs) I love that music, too, but it just was never what drew me in. Yeah. And so maybe that was it. And yeah, it was guys from the UK. It was guys from Europe. Trance was was big back then, like the BTs and the Paul Van Dykes and all that. So that was my entry point. Mm-hmm. Um, but it wasn't really until I found that community, like I was saying, the hollerboard and meeting guys like Diplo and Floss and uh, Sammy Bananas and all those guys, you know, there were like regional scenes in every part of the country and we were all working with the same ideals in different places and building these cool little local communities it's really when I felt like I was part of that community that I started to get really passionate about yeah. it what would you say was your first big like moment that you were able to get your name out there was it the kid sister or did you have something before that uh I mean I had been DJing and releasing records before I started DJing for Kid Sister, but she, I wouldn't even say that she took my name to another level, but she opened up my world. So I DJed for her uh, for a couple years when her career was really popping off. She was doing really well. And for your uh, viewers who may not know, I mean, she was Uh, 2006 to 2008, maybe even up to 2010, very popular rapper, singer, extremely talented. She's still extremely talented and and, uh, (laughs) still making music, but that was the time when I intersected with her, and she took me around the world. You know, we toured extensively, which I hadn't done before, Uh, and yeah, it just opened up my... It was the first time I was a professional on that level. Yeah. I'll put it that way. How did you get that opportunity? Did you already have a team back then? Uh, I did have a booking agent, but the way I got that opportunity was through Nick Catchdubs, who oh. is one of the co-creators yeah. of Fool's Gold Records. He and I had been friends from the Hollerboard days and had known each other, and we played each other's parties. He was in New York. I was in Chicago. We'd sleep on each other's couches good friend fool's gold put out one of my records you know just a lot of connections and uh yeah she needed a new dj 
he knew that I had been DJing locally for some rappers in Chicago and he just called me up one day and it kind of dropped into my lap at a very Hello. good time in my life and changed my whole world, man. Yeah, you know, through that gig, I met so many more people. I learned so much about how to be a professional on the road, traveling, how to maintain sanity through yeah. all of that. And, uh, and just to watch the way that the kid sister machine worked. Cause she was a, at a certain point, I don't think it's hyperbole to say she was a budding pop star. And so to see how that huge machine operates around one person and the pressures that it brings in and the way, you, you know, the, all the people you meet and the way you deal with all these people. And she had a big team, so I could yeah. watch how her team worked and figure out, okay, a business manager does this and a tour manager does that. And yeah, those, it was eye-opening years yeah. and so much fun too I mean some of those shows we played she was very good to me I would usually play a set of my own somewhere in the show and uh, then at the end of the show she'd make me do a dance which is not my favorite part <laughs> oh my gosh <laughs> but no it was great the, yeah. those years were life-defining for yeah. sure what happened after that um after that basically since then it's just been this slow building of, of my career up to this point. I started releasing a lot more records. Yeah. Uh, I worked with, you know, I started working with a lot more people in the scene, collaborating a lot more, uh, really started taking production a lot more yeah. seriously. I'd been doing it, I'd been releasing records, and again, you know, Reddit detectives, you can find the old ones, they're not good. <laughs> they're not good, I wish they were not on the internet. But, uh, you know, over the years yeah. I got better and better, and uh, that's really all it's been. You know, yeah. I started touring on my own, started getting bookings for solo shows, and it just yeah. kind of kept building. I, I'm not one of those artists that had that moment where all of a sudden you, you're rocketed to another level. You know, it's been a slow burn career the whole way through. Yeah. Which is, you know, not a good or a bad thing. It's just how it worked out for me. But, uh, yeah, it's just been kind of brick after brick, foot in front of the other kind yeah. of thing. Actually, did it ever occur to you to start a record label because your friends were like full school, yeah. and all this stuff? You know, it's funny. I uh, So now I, I run my own podcast as well, which we yeah. were talking about before we hit record. And somebody was just asking me that. And here's the thing about this is that, there was a certain point where everyone thought I should start a record label because uh, I ended up in this position where I had a lot of young producers sending me music and I was supplying a lot of music to some pretty big name DJs uh, just because the what way... What year was this? A few years back. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's kind of, it wasn't just one time. It was over mm -hmm. a period of time. And the way it works a lot of times is, you know, if you're friends with a bunch of DJs and a few of them get pretty famous or start doing big business, they'll still talk to the same people they were talking to before. And mm -hmm. so some of my friends who had gotten really successful would still hit me up and say, hey, you know, I'm playing this big show. Can you send me some cool new music? And I just got in that position where I was doing that a lot. I kind of was known for knowing good music which is when you should probably start a record label. But for me, it, that's not the fun part. For me, running a record label seems like a lot of work, mm -hmm. and it doesn't seem like something I think I'd be particularly good at. Like, what I love 
is the the music itself. Like I live to play shows and be on stage and, and do a set like anywhere, anytime. That's when I am the happiest. Yeah. And, and so for me, it was just like, well, record labels. A, there's enough fucking record labels. We don't need any more record. Everybody has a record label. Yeah. <laughs> like mine is not going to add something that wasn't there before. And record labels, I mean, you don't make money usually. Even the really big ones have trouble making money. Mm. And I don't know. I just didn't. Maybe it's just my ego. Like maybe I, I was like, no, it's, it's about me as an artist. Uh, it could have been any of those, but it just never was something I wanted to yeah. do. And then in 2015, you kind of, like, doubled down your production, really focused on that. Like, what was the turning point for that? You know, it, it's kind of, if you want to have a long-lasting career in this business, you have to look out a few years in advance. You have to try as much as you can to anticipate the trends or see, or anticipate the death of trends, you know. Mm -hmm. And for me, that's what it was. I was seeing more and more that the focus isn't so much about just can you DJ a really good show, it's more and more uh, what can you make, you know, what do you have to show, how can you present a show that's original and unique and the way most people were doing it and still are is production and, you know, really putting forth not only am I playing these songs for you but I made these songs for you and this whole show is kind of just an extension of my personality. And it wasn't always like that. And so, you know, I started seeing that happening. I realized that also, I mean, motherfuckers were just getting good, like really good. And for a while, my production was like in the, you know, I was in the middle of the pack. I was fine. And at a certain point, technology and the speed uh, that people could learn new technology oh. got crazy. Yeah. And I was falling behind. So I was like, okay, I need to take a step back here, not just sort of keep the ball rolling, but you know, take six months off and really learn some new things. It'd been a while since I'd learned something new. It's easy when you have a, a career that involves this cycle of put out a song, go on tour, uh, rinse, repeat. It's kind of, and again, that goes back to what I was saying about trying to anticipate those trends. And yeah, at a certain point, I was like, if I don't change something up in a year or two from now, I probably won't have a job, yeah. you know? Actually, why do you... So Back to Back started in 2000, like just last year, right? And oh, the podcast, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Back to Back started in March of 2017. We put out our first episode with Diplo, and it's been a weekly show ever since then. Yeah. And before we put that out, I had been conceptualizing it and setting it up and building the, the infrastructure for it for about six months before yeah. we started it. Actually, why didn't it occur to you to start it earlier? Now I'm really wishing I started mine like five years ago. I know, right? You, we'd both be millionaires. <laughs> uh, you know, I did actually have the idea to do it uh, earlier, but I was busy with other stuff, and I it's a lot of work. I'm sure, as you know, it's a ton of work. It takes up so much time. And for me, I was like, well, how could I fit in creating a whole show in my career that I already have? And I kind of at a certain point just had to take a step back and say, I think this is a cool enough idea that, you know, my, maybe I'll slow down my music releases for 2017. Maybe my touring will slow down a little bit while I build this show. And uh, it's been great. I mean, I yeah. couldn't be happier that I took that step. Yeah. Um, Going into the podcast, what were your main goals for it? 
Well, so I'm a podcast nerd in general, and I listen to a lot of podcasts, and I listen to uh, people, I like to hear people talk about what they do. So I would listen to comedians' podcasts, or I would listen to uh, actors or directors being interviewed, and usually people who I was a fan of already. And what I found out was that it's a new level of fandom when you hear somebody talk about not just their work, because I think we've all seen somebody interviewed about, you know, your new record is called XYZ. What was your inspiration for writing it? You know, that kind of like very surface level shit. But then when you hear somebody talk about their family and, uh, you know, what was going on in their life when they made a piece of art or just, you know, how they view their own art, these deeper questions all of a sudden, I was almost more interested in that than I was in what they were actually making. Mm-hmm. And for me, talking to... So what the podcast is, is basically the, the same concept that, that you have, is it's these long-form conversations with artists, friends, peers, people I've worked with, people I've known for a long time, or people I've just met, um, and talking about their lives, their careers, you know, the, the music industry, how did they get into it, what struggles have they faced? And it's been therapy for me, honestly. In a way, when I talk to them, I can think about my own life and my own music and my own career in a new light. And I get inspired and I can go back and work on music with a new energy and with a new outlook. And so, you know, in, in the end, I mean, I don't know, maybe I'm just selfish, but it, it comes back to me too. <laughs> I, like. I, I love talking to these people, and the focus is on the guest. You know, it's not on me, but I get a lot out of it, too. Yeah. Actually, how do you decide who to have on their show? Because over time, you just know heaps of people in music. Yeah, you know, so it started out, uh, I was just talking to my friends, people I've known for a long time. You know, I've known Diplo for probably over a decade, and he's a busy guy, but I just, I hit him up, and I was like, well, I'm starting this, and you're going to be the first guest, and I'm going to show up at your house. Uh, you tell me what day and then we're going to do this thing. And he had uh, no idea what it was, I'm sure. And he was just like, all right, whatever. And that's how a lot of those early interviews and early podcasts came about. Uh, You know, I did an early one with uh, Kurt Mm Flosterdamas, who I know you've had on the show too. Another long, long time friend of mine. Guys like Keys and Crates, uh, you know, a bunch of names. And then over time... Uh, it turned into more of an official show. Like, I have a team behind it now. Oh, so wow. my, my manager, who takes care of me as an artist, has kind of turned into the, the producer of the show in the sense that he helps me book artists now, and we can reach out to kind of a wider net. So, yeah. you know, more recently, had guys on, like, uh, Cascade or Seven Lions or that kind of thing, where I didn't really know them almost at all. And I think... Uh, I've just been lucky. It's probably the same way your show's grown Mm -hmm. in that, you know, once you get kind of a good resume, it's a lot easier to get people to sort of trust you and say, you know, yeah, this is a new idea and it probably sounds weird to you, but it's, trust me, it's fun. And, you know, uh, people really seem to like it. Yeah. How do you think your music has changed from the early songs you made? Uh, well, just technically, I've become such a better producer <laughs> than I was when I started. I didn't have any idea. I'm very self-taught. It's weird because I went to school for music and somehow managed to not learn anything about making music <laughs> that I use now, other than, you know, some music theory. But, uh, 
yeah, making electronic music, my production is very self-taught. When I started, I was like a caveman. I was doing all the wrong stuff in the wrong way. And it worked. And you can make music any way you want. You know, some of the best producers that I love make it like a caveman. But uh, yeah, I just got technically better. And I think I got better about realizing an artistic vision uh, and really learning how to think of an idea before you sit down. You sit down. Over time, practice makes perfect, so you can arrange a song, you can lay it out faster and better, and you can understand uh, how it'll work for a dance floor, how it'll work if another DJ plays it. That's just repetition. That's, you know, do it a thousand times in a row, and eventually you'll get good at it. But in terms of artistic vision, yeah, it's, I, I just figured out what I liked more, and, and it's really about the idea of having an idea in your head, and as quickly as you can being able to sit down and get it in front of you before that kind of spark of creativity is gone. Because that can happen all the time. I'll think of an idea for a song. I, if I don't do anything with it, I sit down a couple hours later. That, that spark is kind of gone yeah. and it's not going to work out. So it's really about the, the efficiency of it. I think that's what's gotten a lot better. Mm. How do you think you've grown as a person since when you started? Uh, I think I'm uh, a lot more ready for the business side of everything now than I was when I started. Uh, like I said, I'm, a, I'm slow to learn. I'm a late bloomer. <laughs> so it, for me, it just took a while to sort of figure out exactly like uh, we were saying. I went to school and I didn't really know what I wanted to do. I went to music and for a while I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do with music. I just knew that I loved it. And so now I'm able to kind of make the songs that I want to make and have it cohesively hold together with my past work and what I'm going to do in the future. And I think I just matured. I grew up a little bit, you know, and all the people I came up with, we all kind of grew up together, you know, as, as people and as artists. And I think that the community aspect of it is maybe something I haven't really talked as much about in this interview, but that was a big part of it, mm. just like being part of that group and kind of everyone coming up, you know, some people getting really successful, some people failing and leaving the business entirely, but all of us going through the same struggles at the same time. I think it really helps to have a, a, not even a team, but just a group of people that you can kind of share an experience with and ask questions and see how they handle situations. Just watching people go through it, I think that helped me a lot. Yeah. Last question, what do you want to be remembered for? What do you want to be remembered for? Okay, so this is a, I have a thing about this. <laughs> <laughs> and this isn't an idea original to me, I can't take credit for it, but really I don't believe in the idea of a legacy because uh, Sure, I, I would love to make some music that people love and remember for a hundred years. But even if I do that, in 200 years, probably no one would even remember that. Hmm. You know, in yeah. the long-term thing, most of us have no legacy. It just doesn't exist. For anyone, really. Yeah. You know, unless you're Mozart or Beethoven. You know, like there were a couple yeah. of them, and a they were 300 years ago. <laughs> and so, in the, I don't even think about it. I don't care. All I want to do is in the moment. I want to make the best music I can make. I want to, with the podcast, have these conversations with other artists. I want to push the culture forward. I want to 
all I want to do is make people understand why I like the music I like and why I make the music I make and have that connection. The, the connection you feel when you're standing on stage playing to a bunch of people and it's a special moment. It doesn't happen most shows, but when it does, I mean, it's a drug. You, I'm completely addicted to it. That's wow. what I'm trying to get back to every time. Just that moment when you connect with everybody out there. You play the right song at the right time, and you know everybody kind of just like leaves their body for a minute. That yeah. that for me, it's the moment. Like I don't really care about the legacy. I care about what we're doing right now. Yeah, I love that. Thank you so much. That was awesome. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> Bye, guys.